Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian Dwyer. That's John Bellis. John, today we're in week number five. It's our final week in our series on Jonah. So Jonah, the Old Testament book, is only four chapters long, but we wanted to do one more one more episode on Jonah because I think there's some things that we've left out. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the four miracles in the book of Jonah, and we're going to connect these miracles to the greatest miracle and what the whole Bible is about. We're going to talk about the sign of Jonah, which is a concept from the New Testament. Jesus is the one who talks about that. We're going to get to all of that today, but before we even get into sort of a recap of the miracles in Jonah, John, I guess some people might still think of Jonah more as a fairy tale than a miracle story. Yeah, and even though the story of Jonah is loaded with miracles, it it's not a fairy tale. You know, Jonah was a real person. He lived in a real time. We we see information about Jonah that you wouldn't normally get in a fable or in a parable even. We know his birthplace. Uh, we know who his dad was. We looked at in week one this reference to Jonah in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 14, where he gives this prophecy to the king of the northern kingdom of Israel that they're going to reclaim some territory that they had lost. And obviously, First and Second Kings are, are known as historical books. They're not books of poetry in the Old Testament. So again, these are, are real places. You know, Joppa, the port where he boarded the ship, you can actually go to Israel and you can go to Joppa today. And if you do, you see this big statue of a whale to kind of memorialize the Jonah story. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's definitely a real thing. And then Jesus referred to Jonah as real. When, when he talked about the sign of Jonah, he mentioned Jonah by name. Now we know that Jesus often talked in parables, but the characters in Jesus's parables never had names. You think about the sower who sowed the seeds mm-hmm. or the, the widow who kept going before the judge, though they were never named. So clearly Jesus treated Jonah as if he were a real person. Yeah, and so some people even when you're maybe some people listening to this might be a little skeptical. This this episode's for you, and I and I pray that you would really listen and have an open mind uh, to the God of miracles, as we've been talking about. That you know the story of Jonah is really not about Jonah; it's about Jonah's God. It's about this God who's a miracle working God, and um, obviously, John, as Christians, we believe that God can work miracles. But I think a skeptic, a non-believer, an agnostic might struggle with that, might struggle with this concept, this idea that God can perform miracles, and, and that's legit. And so we're going to sort of dive into these different miracles in the book of Jonah and, and talk about, really, I think a lot of people know the one big miracle, we'll get to that, that he, Jonah gets swallowed by this fish, but that's not the only big miracle in the story. But that's one of them, and really one of the questions is, can we believe in a God who performs miracles? Yeah, I think it might be helpful for our listeners just to define a miracle as we move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, the definition of miracle is it's a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of divine agency. And certainly the things we're going to talk about today are not really explained by natural or scientific laws. Yeah, and I guess you could, I could challenge that definition. I don't know that it always has to be welcome. Sometimes a miracle is not is not a welcome event. Sometimes God God works, God's agency, God steps in and does something that can't be explained by science or nature uh, that we that we don't always want. Anyway, that's that's neither here. No, nor I agree. There. I think that's kind of a 
a secularization of that definition. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about four miracles from the book of Jonah. Again, if you're listening to this and and you haven't ever read this book, it's it's a real simple read. It's in the Old Testament, toward the end of the Old Testament. Jonah was a prophet. This book is a four chapter book. It's uh, it's it reads more like a parable, more like a story. In the first miracle that we saw really in week number one, in chapter number one, is that God spoke to Jonah. How is it a miracle, John, that God spoke to Jonah? Well, again, back to our definition, it certainly can't be explained by a natural or scientific law that you and I can communicate with the Almighty God of the universe. I think it's interesting, too, for our listeners today that you know maybe don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that wouldn't say they've ever heard from God. They may find that to be a little far-fetched, whereas I think people who grew up in the church sometimes take it for granted. I think sometimes we forget what a miracle it is that you and I get to hear from God on a regular basis, that he would even care enough about us to want to communicate with us. I think sometimes we take that for granted. But it's a miracle that God spoke to Jonah, and it's a miracle anytime God speaks because his word is powerful. You know, God spoke the world into existence. That's how much power is in the word of God. Isaiah 55, 11 says, it's the same with my word, God speaking, I send it out and it always produces fruit. Man, I wish that was true for me as a dad, that every time I spoke, people had to obey. You know, we see in the Jonah story, uh, that except for with Jonah, right, because Jonah had free will, but the fish obeyed, the seas obeyed. We're going to see this as we continue today. But every time God's word goes out, it always produces fruit. He says it will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper wherever I send it. And think of how God used his word to Jonah to draw the sailors on the boat to him that we looked at in chapter 1. So Jonah you know, thought through his disobedience that he was delaying or somehow thwarting you know, the purposes of God. Mm. He was just fulfilling the purposes God had all along. God, God knew he was going to use Jonah to draw those pagan sailors to himself. Yeah, so John, to the person who's listening to this saying, well, I don't, I don't really know how to hear from God. I don't, you know, God's never spoken to me before. What advice would you give them to put them in a place to hear God speak, to, to, ex, to experience this miracle that Jonah experienced? Well, we actually talked about this a little bit today in another conversation, the idea of how God reveals himself to us, how God speaks to us. There's this idea of general revelation, you know, through creation. We look around us, you know, we live in Utah, and, and on my drive down here this morning, I drove through the canyon, and the fall colors are at their peak today. Mm-hmm. And as I drive through there, if that just doesn't scream a creator, I, I don't know what was mm-hmm. or what does, excuse me, but... But more specifically for us, I think, in this question is we have God's written word. Again, I would hate for us to take for granted that any time we want to hear from God, we can. We can open up his written word, and and his word literally speaks to us. So for anyone who maybe feels like they've never heard from God, one of my first challenges would be to just get in his word. Get in his word and let his word speak to you. And then I think we also hear from God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, even as we're in his written word. And then lastly, I think God speaks through the, the people of God as well. Mm-hmm. I think people can, can reveal God's plan for us or God's encouragement for us or God's challenge for us uh, by being connected with other believers. 
Yeah, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And like you said, John, that could be either when you're reading the Bible. I know that's happened for me, that it that that sense of conviction comes to me because God is speaking through his word or sometimes just through the Holy Spirit nudging me and, and convicting me or sometimes through another brother or sister in the Lord, somebody who, who kind of calls me out on something that God's, God's word is alive and active and really learning to listen to God's word and listen to his voice. It really is miraculous. It's even miraculous, I think, John, that that God is the kind of God that even wants a relationship with us, right? That he doesn't, that that he wants to interact with us. It's not this idea of this watchmaker God who's just spun the world into existence and exists out there and is not really involved in the world. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think that's why this was the first miracle that really jumped out at me as I was reading this story. And the Jonah story is something I've read, I'm sure, a hundred times, if not more, growing up in the church. But it really just hit me that the biggest miracle, or maybe not the biggest, but the first miracle we see is that God chose to speak to Jonah, that the God of the universe would want to communicate with us, because God didn't have to use Jonah to talk to the city of Nineveh. God could have communicated through signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many ways God could have communicated, but he wanted to draw Jonah into this, right? And that's how he still works through us. All right, number two, miracle number two is that God controlled the storm. So if you know the if you know the story from Jonah, you know that God number 1 created the storm for, in the first place and then number 2 God calmed the so- storm. So God has control over nature. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too that that in our culture I think we miss a little bit of how powerful it was that God calmed the sea. You know, the sea was um, was kind of equivalent to chaos, to something that's untamable in pagan culture, particularly in, in Jonah's time. Uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the, the word used for sea is yam, which was also the, the name of this Canaanite god who oversaw chaos and things that were untamable. He was kind of the god of the rivers, god of the sea, little g, obviously, right? Not mm-hmm. a real god. And so the sailors... When God calms the sea instantly, when they throw Jonah overboard, it says that they were awestruck at his power. Like they, they literally couldn't believe that Jonah's God was so powerful that he could control the seas because of just their ideology of, of what the sea meant, the chaos, uh, the untamable, things like that. Yeah, Job 38, and this is, Job is another book in the Old Testament where this character Job is wrestling with God, and he's trying to understand God's providence and God's sovereignty in his life. And at the end of the book of Job, uh, God finally kind of schools Job and, and starts asking him some sort of rhetorical questions. And this was one of the questions he says in Job 38, starting in verse 34, can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Again, rhetorical question because God can. God's saying, I can, can you? No, you can't, can you? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Well, no, Job can't, Jonah couldn't, but God can. Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry? And again, the answer is 
God. God can do this. God is this this God who controls the storms. He controls the weather. And, and we see this in, in the New Testament with Jesus, right? That God calms the storm through Jesus. You know, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is out there with his disciples. Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then he got up. This was when he and his disciples were in a boat, similar to the Jonah story. They're in a boat, boat and the storm is raging, and Jesus gets up and rebukes the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. So then the men at that point, his disciples were just amazed. They said, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Yeah, there are so many similarities between those two stories. We talked about some of the foreshadowing in week one. As the storm raged around the boat that Jonah was on, he was asleep. They found him sleeping. As the storm is raging around the disciples, Jesus is in the boat asleep. And Earlier that day, it, it says that uh, Jesus had basically spent that whole day healing all the sick and, and casting out demons, which is pretty incredible stuff, right? That's pretty miraculous. But we don't really see anything in that chapter where it says that the disciples were amazed at his power. Hmm. But when he calms the storm, it says they were amazed. Like, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think that's because the disciples knew. They knew Job. They knew that God said, can you calm the storm, right? I'm paraphrasing here. Can you control the weather? No, only I can. And yet they see Jesus do this. I think it's one of the first, maybe the first times when they started to go, wait, this really might be the Messiah. Like this might be the son of God Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Okay. So miracle number one is God spoke to Jonah and it's a miracle anytime he speaks. Miracle number two is that God controlled the storm, that he has that kind of authority, that kind of power. And then miracle number three, this is, this is kind of where we're starting to get to the more obvious miracles in the book of Jonah, and, and maybe the ones that where people struggle a little bit to understand it and think maybe this is a fable, not a real story. But the third miracle is that God provided a fish. And, and the, now we're not, talking about, we're not talking about what happened after. We're just saying that God provided the fish for Jonah because really the fish, a lot of people don't realize that the fish represents God's rescue of Jonah. It, it's not actually God's punishment. It's his protection. A lot of people don't realize that the fish essentially saved Jonah from drowning. And so God provides the fish to swallow Jonah. And really this shows, this shows that God doesn't just have authority over the weather, but he actually has authority over animals. Yeah, God has authority over all of creation, right? God is, God is sovereign, and I, I love the, the NLT version of that verse says that God had arranged for a fish to swallow Jonah. Just, I don't know why that catches me so funny, but I'm like, how did he arrange that? You know, is he is like, I'll have my people get with your people? Or <laughs> did, did he check in with the fish and say, hey, what do you have going on Thursday at 2 o'clock? You need to cancel it. I've got something for you to do, right? But f- however he did it, he arranged it. And, and we know that Jonah was thrown overboard. And it says that the storm ceased almost immediately. So I, I don't think it was very long at all from when Jonah hit the water till this great fish. You know, as a kid, I grew up hearing Jonah and the whale, but mm-hmm. really that's not what the Bible says. It says this great fish comes along and, and swallows him. And to your point, Brian, that was for Jonah's protection. That's actually what keeps Jonah alive. And this certainly isn't the first time we see God's control over animals in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a pattern of God using animals, you know, all the way from from God using the donkey to keep Balaam from casting a curse on the Israelites to him sending quail in the desert. And even in the New Testament, 
you know, he, he uses a fish that uh, Peter catches with two coins in his mouth to pay the temple tax. So God definitely has dominion over all of his creation. Yeah, back to Job. I love it. Job 39, it says, again, God speaking to Job, is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it your command? Is it at your command that the eagle rises to the heights to make its nest? So again, we see here God is saying, I, I, I'm the one who commands the, the birds to fly, right? I mean, he spoke everything, God spoke everything into existence. And then there's a sense in which he still has just a very, very active authority and dominion over even the animals. And, and here we see it in this story. In fact, I think it's interesting that at the end of chapter two, it says, um, God spoke to the fish to spit Jonah out. And, uh, and once again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same, I think it's the same verb in the original language as how Jonah chapter one starts where God spoke to Jonah. The difference of course, is that the fish obeyed immediately. Jonah, it took him a couple of tries before he was obedient, right? But that, that, that the animals are subject to the dominion of God. That's a pretty cool thing. And really, even to think, you said earlier that God didn't need to use Jonah to go to Nineveh. God could have spoken through the fish, really, right? He spoke, he speaks through donkeys and he's done stuff like that. He's used animals before to speak. And so he could have even used the fish for that purpose. But there was a reason that he wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. So he decided just to use the fish for this other purpose instead. Okay. And then that brings us to our fourth miracle. This, this final miracle in the story of Jonah is that God delivers Jonah from the fish. That the fish, can't, the fish can't contain, the fish has to give up Jonah, right? Yeah, and that's a sign of, of something else, right? That points to something that's going to happen in the New Testament's foreshadowing. In fact, Jesus references it. He, he talks about this sign. The religious leaders were coming to him, and they were asking him for a sign. And he told the Pharisees that uh, you're in an evil and adulterous generation to demand a miraculous sign, and the only sign that I'm going to give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he talks about the fact that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And so this, this of course, is why ultimately this is the, the ultimate miracle that we're looking for in the Jonah story, is that it's, it's pointing to a God who has this kind of authority and this kind of control over all things, right? That God could do this great thing. And this, I think, John, this is where it really kind of comes back to this point of decision for people who might look at the story with some skepticism. And I, you know, I think we should point out here, by the way, that some some theologians believe, and I guess this is possible, so let's talk about kind of option A when you read Jonah and option B when you read Jonah. Option, let's call it option A for now. Option A is to think that maybe Jonah did die in the fish. If you read chapter 2, we saw this in week 2 of the series. If you read chapter 2, we see that Jonah's talking about Sheol. Jonah, Jonah for sure thought he was dead or was about to die at least. So some people say that, that what, what might have happened is that actually Jonah did die in the fish and that when Jonah was spit out onto the beach, 
that actually he was made alive, right? That, and that would align really even more closely to, to, this, to what, Jesus, what happened with Jesus because Jesus died. The Bible says that Jesus actually died. He was in the grave for three days, three nights, and then he came out triumphant, the sign of Jonah, just like Jonah was spit out onto the beach. So it, I, I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't push back too much on that if someone says, okay, that's how, maybe that's how I, that makes more sense to my mind that that's what's, it's still a miracle, right? Either way, it's this miracle working God that this is, this is the God of, of the Bible and this is the God of Jonah. And then option B then would be that that Jonah survived all three days in the belly of the fish, right? That that God somehow miraculously kept him alive. Because again, maybe you're skeptical, and you know maybe you've tried to look at the biology behind it. I confess, I'm no I'm no fisheries expert. I don't know what it would be like to try and live in the belly of a fish for three days. But I do know this: I know that a God who is powerful enough to speak the world into existence, like we've looked at, a God who is powerful enough to control the seas and the weather, a God who is powerful enough to control the animals that he's created, is certainly a God who is powerful enough to keep Jonah alive in the belly of the fish, if that's his purpose. So, so really, whether it is option A, you know, Jonah died and God resuscitated him, or option B, that God miraculously kept him alive in the belly of the fish, either of those are a miracle, and both of those show God's power and authority and sovereignty. Yeah, and I, I think it's good for us to maybe to end this this episode and really end this whole Jonah series on a real on a real personal note. And and maybe this is actually I guess you could argue this is the fifth miracle that we see in the story of Jonah is all these people repenting. The the sailors essentially essentially repented and, and worshiped God once they saw God's power. Jonah ends up repenting, going back to Nineveh. The Ninevites end up repenting and turning to God. And, and again, this was, this was kind of the big idea. Is it's this, the story of Jonah is this God of miracles who is willing to let everyone off the hook for their sin. That is the ultimate miracle, and that's really what the sign of Jonah is about. That's really what Jesus' death and resurrection is all about. What it's about is, is us believing in a miracle-working God and trusting in in his forgiveness that comes through his work on the cross, his miraculous, dare we say, unbelievable work on the cross. That's what faith is. Faith is believing the unbelievable. It's saying, I'm going to believe that Jesus really did die, that Jesus really did raise from the dead, and that he lives now, that he's the resurrected Christ, and that he is Lord over all. I'm going to put my faith in that. The Bible says that when you trust in that message, then the Bible says you're forgiven. We saw last week, John, that or a couple weeks ago, that the Ninevite king wasn't sure if God would offer forgiveness. But we know from the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9, that God gives us this guarantee that if we would confess our sins, he's faithful, faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Yeah, and I would imagine that, that some people listening to this podcast literally right now, you're, you're experiencing a miracle in the sense that, that the God of the universe is speaking to you. Just like he spoke to Jonah, just like he spoke to the sailors on the ship, just like he spoke to the people of Nineveh. And, you know, Romans 2, 4 talks about how God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. It, it is a miracle. You know, Romans 2, 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
And I, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but I love the verse where it talks about how the angels in heaven rejoice when even one repents. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they know it's a miracle. You know, we, we don't come to God unless God draws us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so every time someone repents, whether that's a pagan sailor in the middle of a storm, whether that's the people in the city of Nineveh, or whether that's you and me right now in, in our daily walk, it's, it's a miracle. It's God's kindness that's drawing us to that. Well, and here's, let's finish with this, this last verse. You know, we read this passage where Jesus references the sign of Jonah. And remember what, what he's, what's happening there in that passage is the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus and they said, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. They were, they were doubting who Jesus really was. And, and again, some people might be listening to this today and you're still undecided. You still don't know. God hasn't shown himself. He hasn't, he hasn't proven himself just, just en- you know, quite enough just yet. And Jesus, I, I want to read again what Jesus' reply was. He says, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But he says, I, I'm going to give you this sign in the sign of Jonah. So the sign that Jesus gives them, and this was later on, you know, Jesus gave them the sign later at the end of his ministry when he died and rose from the dead. And so today we can look back on this story and we can look back on how he, what he says in verse 41 at the end of this. This is almost chilling to read this in verse 41. Jesus says to those Pharisees, those unbelieving, doubtful Pharisees, teachers of the law, he says, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. And now someone greater than Jonah is here. He's talking about himself, Jesus. But you refuse to repent. So it really is. It's, it's kind of a, a final challenge for us. I think this is really why, why we have the book of Jonah. We have the book of Jonah because of the sign of Jonah. It's ultimately about Jesus and, and that Jesus is that one who is greater than Jonah. And it had to be shocking for the people to hear that the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation, because Nineveh was a wicked, evil, pagan nation. And Jesus is saying the Ninevites are going to stand in judgment of the Israelites, because the Ninevites repented and the Israelites won't. Yeah, not only not only were they pagan, not only were they Gentile, you know, Jesus is primarily kind of bashing the religious leaders of his day when he says that. I mean, I'm sure he's speaking to the crowds at large, too, but specifically to the religious leaders, to the people who thought they were the closest to God. Yeah, so John, let's end this episode and, and this whole series on Jonah. We, we like to do this from time to time in our resources at PursueGod.org, and let's do this right now, John. How For the person who's out there who's listening to this, maybe they've been through this this series, maybe they're doing it with a small group, Maybe they're doing it with a mentor one-on-one, and they're getting ready to meet with their their mentor or their group to talk about this final episode, week five in the Jonah series. What would you say to the person who isn't sure whether or not they're a Christian? They listen to this. They hear they hear the story of Jonah. They they hear about repentance. They hear about the the gospel that Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead three days later, and they say. I think I want to sign up for this. I think I want to place my faith in Christ, and and I don't, but I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure what how what step do I take? How do I how do I know? How do I repent like the Ninevites repented? How do I come to this place where I can have the assurance of my salvation? 
Some people out there listening might need some guidance. In fact, some mentors or small group leaders might need a little guidance if they want to help someone to place their faith in Christ. What instruction pastorally, John, would you give them? Well, the first thing I would do is just encourage you that if you're even asking those questions, if you're, if you're feeling that pull, again, that's miraculous. That's because the Spirit of God is drawing you to Himself right now. You know, Romans 10, 9, and 10 just tells us pretty, pretty directly that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And so it's come to that point where we, we believe what God says. We talked about that a little bit last week in the message that uh, it says the people of Nineveh believed God. That was the first step in their repentance. And so it's just agreeing with what God says about you, uh, that God says that you're broken, uh, that your sin has caused you to fall short of his glorious standard, but also that God says that he loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross for your sins. And so it's coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I recognize that, that you are my rescuer, that I need a rescuer, that I'm broken, and that I need a Savior, and I trust in what you did on the cross. I trust that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't, uh, and that when you went to the cross, you paid for my sins, and so I put my faith in you, I put my trust in you. And God's Word tells us that when we do that, that we've, we move from death to life, that we've become a new creation, that, that we have eternity with the Father because of that. Yeah, whenever I get to this place with someone that I'm mentoring or discipling, and they say, I want to do this, I like to pray a short prayer with them. You know, traditionally you might hear, you might have heard of this referred to as the sinner's prayer. There's nothing magical about a prayer. Really the bigger thing is the attitude of your heart, um, what you've come to believe. But a prayer is a good way to sort of bring closure to that. A prayer is a good way to articulate that. And so that's what we want to do right now to end this episode. John, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer and, and those of you at home who are saying, I don't know if I've ever trusted Jesus for salvation, if you're at that place today where you want to do that, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with John. Just repeat with John in your own heart, and then the Bible says that, that you can trust that God's Word is true when he said that if you confess your sins and believe in, in, the, in Jesus as your Savior, then you will be saved. And so let's, let's pray a prayer together, those who want to do that. Let's pray a prayer together, that sinner's prayer for salvation. Lord God, I just thank you for drawing me to this point, and I thank you for speaking to me and helping me to recognize that, that I'm broken. And so, God, I just confess that I am a sinner, um, that I fall short of your standard and that I cannot fix it on my own. And God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to live the perfect life that I couldn't live, and that he went to the cross for me and he paid the debt that I should have paid. And so, Jesus, I, I put my trust in you. I, I put my faith in your worthiness and that you were able to accomplish that for me. And I thank you so much for your amazing gift of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. <laughs>